Welcome to Rex Factor! This week, Catherine of Valois! With your hosts, Graham Duke and Ali Hood. Hello! Hello! And welcome to Rex Factor, reviewing all the Queen and Prince Consorts of England, from Elswith to Prince Philip. And today we are reviewing Catherine of Valois, Queen Consort, to King Henry V. Slightly later than planned, but we, or I, took some uh, time off, can you believe it, over Christmas and New Year. I'm, I'm not pleased about it, Rex fans, don't worry. If you want to avoid having any delays and having something Rexy to listen to, then you can join the Privy Council by supporting us on uh, patreon.com forward slash rexfactor. You get loads of uh, bonus episodes. Um, or if you just want to get in touch with us and send us a message, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram where we are at rexfactorpod. Like the Rex Factor Podcast Facebook page and email us rexfactorpodcast at hotmail.com. Biography! So, Catherine of Valois was born on the 27th of October, 1401, in the palace of Hotel Saint-Paul in Paris, and she was the daughter of King Charles VI of France and Isabeau of Bavaria, or in fact she is the 10th of 12 children. God, that poor woman. And she's the younger sister of one of our previous consorts, Isabella of Valois, who was uh, the second consort of Richard II. And this is good because she's a princess then, daughter of a king of France. And, as I say, the second one from this uh, yeah. particular family. Yeah, so what family. does that do? What does that mean? So, like, Henry V, she is his aunt as well? Uh, wife and aunt. Wife and aunt, is that No, because right? Richard II doesn't have any children. Oh. So there's no relationship, direct relationship there in terms of her sister, yeah. Henry V. Um, indeed, Isabella of Valois, the consort of Richard II, although a child bride to Richard II, she's 14 years older than Catherine, and indeed she died only two years after Catherine was born. You would usually expect that being a French princess, that means a very grand and opulent lifestyle for uh, Catherine, but her life, and indeed that of the country, was determined by the ill health of her father, because Charles VI was also known as Charles the Mad, his uh, mad king suffered mm. numerous bouts of madness at times believing himself to be St George refused to wash for months at a time and he even suffered from the delusion that he was made of glass basically her entire life her father is suffering from these mental health problems and uh, she spends a lot of her early years in her father's household including at times when he is in the full throes so that cannot have been a very easy experience for her growing up oh no it's really sad what a life and it's a really terrible sad. time for France as well. It creates a power vacuum that threatens to descend into civil war at various times. Um, the mother, Isabeau, um, acts as regent and is unusually powerful as the French queen and consequently is also a very controversial figure. Um, amongst various other things, she is accused of adultery with uh, the king's brother, the Duke of Orléans. Um, and it's also often said that uh, she was neglectful of Catherine, so effectively locking her up with her younger siblings and the mad father while Isabeau lives to excess um this may just be the invention of um her mother's enemies so the evidence mm. suggests catherine's got all the toys and materials and whatnot befitting a french princess and it may just have been for her own protection that she sent away so at times uh it was to escape plague uh, in paris but also it's to escape the english yeah because the divisions in France are the perfect opportunity for England to resurrect their claims to French lands, and indeed to the French crown, uh, all of which culminates in Henry V's astonishing victory at the Battle of Agincourt in uh, 1415. And it was after this that uh, Catherine is sent to the religious house of Poissy for her safety. Though, uh, actually, Henry V doesn't have any ill intentions towards Catherine of Valois, and indeed, he is determined to marry her. 
Well, that might be seen as ill intentions. <laughs> I suppose, yeah. <laughs> oh, so th- he marries her after Agincourt. It's an interesting thing, though. It seems to be a very consistent policy of his to marry Catherine. Um, so Henry V and his father, Henry IV, agreed on very little, particularly when it came to foreign policy in France. But one thing they did agree on was that Henry V should marry a French princess. Um, initially, um, Henry IV did actually suggest uh, Isabella of Valois, so Richard II's wife, after Richard was deposed, but she rejected mm that suggestion but it's when henry v comes to the throne in 1413 that the focus very much narrows in on uh, catherine so the duke of york that year reported to henry from paris of the beauty grace and good demeanor of catherine albeit only age 12 at this point <laughs> i'm not surprised that's what they could agree on though you know you're you're the uh, heir to the throne who would you like to marry well french princess you know like <laughs> <laughs> he married her presumably to because she's a French princess and gives his claim to the throne when he has one at Agincourt like a full stop well this is before um, he has actually invaded France at this point Henry V so this is early okay. on yeah, right. um, so in the January 1414 Henry pledged that he would marry none other than Catherine before May of that year so effectively giving them a few months to try and sort stuff out. That does sound like a threat. Well, yes, and indeed, obviously, <laughs> they don't marry, and uh, indeed, he ends up invading France and killing lots and lots of uh, French nobles. Oh. So, what? Was it then a threat? Well, he didn't just ask to marry Catherine. He also demanded a huge dowry, the outstanding ransom of the French King John II from the previous century, and pretty much the restoration of the Angevin Empire, so the left of France being given back to England. Not going to happen. Not going to happen, and one suspects a deliberately excessive set of demands in order that he would get an excuse to declare war when the French say no. Yeah, okay. The French try to delay, at least, the invasion by offering a more generous dowry for Catherine, but Henry, not having any of that, launches his invasion, of course, wins uh, at Agincourt. Uh, Mm. To what extent Catherine knew about uh, the proposal, beyond any rumours, isn't recorded. Um, Either way, after Agincourt, negotiations for the marriage go into abeyance uh, for a few years, and from the age of 14, she'll be completely in the dark, because she's in Poissy. Abeyance? Goes away, stalls, delays. And from the age of 14, she'll be completely in the dark about what's going on, because she is sent to the nunnery of Poissy. Uh, Now, her sister Marie is already there, and she is going to become a nun, but Catherine is still very much intended for the secular world, so she learns embroidery, simple medicinal remedies, and if they are still thinking she might one day become Queen of England, then she probably would have been learning something like Latin and maybe even Greek as well. To be fair, that sounds a lot better. Hmm. That's where I'd want to be, and and I'm not one to say that lightly. (laughs) Yeah. Boarding school's great, particularly when it's got a religious fervour to it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that sounds remarkably like my own childhood. I'll have that. As long as I get to be the Queen of England at the end of it, I'm... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, tell you what, I'm fine with that as well. <laughs> Absolutely. But she is sort of hidden away from the world to a certain extent, which is obviously the intention to keep her safe, but it means she doesn't really have a great sense of what's going on. So she probably, maybe from passing tradesmen or sick people that are brought in for treatment, might be hearing terrible stories of Henry V as this ogre who massacres French women and children, but also potentially the fact that he's this great warrior king in pretty stark contrast to what's going on in France at the moment. So she's probably hearing conflicting reports about the man that she may or may not marry one day. But in 1419, she will get to find out for herself. 
so negotiations for a potential marriage with Henry and Catherine resume in uh, 1418. Uh, the French bring a portrait of Catherine, apparently painted from life, which shows her as a very sort of pretty and fair-haired girl. And uh, Henry is said to be delighted, and it pleased him well. Uh, but he still demanded a huge dowry and the restoration of the Angevin Empire. Yeah. Painted from life, so the artist met her and painted her. Yes, which sounds like an obvious thing to say, but yeah, but, this is you know, a developing art form. Exactly, and presumably she was still four times the size of the surrounding trees. And stuff. <laughs> yeah. So obviously with uh, Henry basically still demanding what he was demanding before, talks break up again. So Henry improves his position and in 1419 conquers Normandy, very much you know, a coming force in France. So the French decide to up their game and this time for uh, negotiations they actually bring Catherine in person and Catherine of Valois and Henry V actually get to meet. I reckon she really was beautiful then. If they're thinking, look, he's taken East <laughs> Anglia, okay, show him Kate because then he'll be fine. <laughs> uh, Catherine would uh, most likely be relieved to find that Henry, who's uh, now 33 years old and basically in his prime, is sort of a slim athletic man, strong aquiline nose and uh, hazel eyes, albeit with a scar on one side of his face after the Battle of Shrewsbury. It's me! <laughs> <laughs> after the Battle of Hoban Road. <laughs> uh, and Henry, too, is impressed. Catherine is described as being very handsome, of high birth, and of the most engaging manners, uh, and was fitting out in a stunning dress that cost some 3,000 florins. So it's this great moment of, you know, high romantic chivalry, apparently gallantry. Henry kissed her on the cheek, modestly. Catherine blushed. And uh, according to the chroniclers, it was love at first sight. Bet it was. I bet it was actually. Uh, you know, he's just thinking he is Henry. Ah, this is Henry Mark Five. This is Henry Mark Five. You know, I gave a shrug when he was told how beautiful she was. He's <laughs> thinking this is business transaction. This, according to the plot, this is when I fall in love, and he probably did. It was like, <laughs> yeah, she's beautiful. It, he wouldn't have expected anything else. Like, his whole reign was robotically perfect. <laughs> I mean, it does sort of sound, like you say, in terms of that's what's meant to happen. It does sound a bit like this could just be a sort of stock chivalric yeah. invention. They're saying, well, of course, this is what's meant to happen. He's the king. She's the French princess. Well, the thing was, though, that he hadn't really shown any interest in women as king, mm. which is why some people might be a bit cynical about this. According to uh, Bishop Courtney, from his accession to his marriage, he never had knowledge carnally of women. Uh, and unlike his predecessors, didn't even tolerate prostitutes at court. Um, and indeed, the sort of the most consistent thing in his policy towards France, his demands change over the years, but from the off, he's always said, I'm going to marry Catherine of Valois, yeah. please. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. What Catherine makes of Henry is, of course, uh, not recorded uh, anywhere. No. Um, after further campaigning, though, and negotiating, the Treaty of Troyes is agreed, and in May 1420, um, it's agreed that Charles VI will remain King of France until his death, but Henry V of England will be the heir and regent of France, despite the fact that there is still uh, a living son and Dauphin. So cool. Um, and not just uh, that Henry is going to be the heir and regent to France, but Henry and Catherine are to marry. And indeed, they marry just two weeks later, the 2nd of June, 1420, uh, in a surprisingly modest ceremony at the small parish church of St. John at Troyes. Uh, and Henry only really allows a modicum of pageantry, so he provides a chariot drawn by eight white horses for Catherine and her mother. Uh, but other than that, not really much fuss is made that's that sounds about right for him probably not for her being a princess i guess get it over and done with and then carry on because from henry's perspective there's still a war to be fought against the disinherited dauphin 
But he has now made his claim much more strong because he's married a daughter of well, the king. Well, it's an interesting thing, that. So um, Henry goes straight off after the wedding to continue the war. Mm. Um, and he captures uh, Montereau before then uh, besieging Melon, where uh, Catherine does actually join him. Um, not perhaps the honeymoon that she would have dreamt of. But uh, Henry was kind enough to The one pay... Henry would have dreamt of. <laughs> well, indeed, yeah. <laughs> but Henry was kind enough to pay royal musicians to uh, play music for her each night. Oh, brilliant. So he slapped on a CD. Yeah, well, presumably there to drown are. out the screams of whatever he was doing in, <laughs> in the town. Um, but after this, there was some time for pageantry. Henry is ceremonially welcomed into Paris, um, and he rides in alongside uh, Charles VI, uh, and they do then go into Notre Dame and have a big ceremony. And then it's the next day that Catherine proceeds into the uh, processes into the city as well, alongside her mother. And the delay is perhaps to emphasise that the marriage is for the benefit of peace and not the means by which Henry is making his claim to the throne. Oh. But it can't hurt. Or Absolute. does it hurt by the fact that people are saying, oh, look, he's even had to marry this He's even person. had to marry a French princess. How desperate must he be? Yeah, well, that just makes it fine. Uh, anyway, seven months after the wedding, uh, Catherine uh, and Henry finally come to England uh, and they arrive at Dover on the 1st of February 1421. Uh, Henry personally supervised the preparations for Catherine's coronation, so he employed teams of workers were to work through the night to get everything ready in time. And then Catherine is received in London to great acclaim and uh, crowned Queen of England at Westminster Abbey on the 23rd of February 1421. Very nice. What an exciting start to her reign. Um, as with the wedding, Henry decides that they don't have much time to hang about and enjoy the moment. Um, it's three and a half years since Henry's last been in England, um, and he needs more money for the war. Mm. So off he goes, straight off. Bye-bye, Catherine, and he does a tour of the kingdom. Hoovering up cash. Hoovering up cash. Um, but after setting off alone, uh, Catherine joined him at Kenilworth Castle. Oh. One of Henry's favourite residences. Is it? It is, yeah. Oh, man, that's a great era for that castle. Before they get uh, glaziers in. It, oh, that's great. <laughs> I did not know that. Uh, so they meet up at Kenilworth. They keep Easter together uh, at Leicester before heading north through Nottingham and Pontefract uh, on their way to York. Um, sadly, we don't have really much detail of their relationship as a, a married couple and king and queen. It has been suggested that maybe Catherine wasn't intelligent enough to captivate Henry uh, fully, but it seems more likely he was just completely focused on the war and not really anything else. Um, also, the fact that Henry is a bit of a abstemious prick. Oh, yeah. Henry Mark V, so, you know, no more partying, no women, no joy in life. It's just... Yeah. Uh, but Catherine will be shown, uh, as we see later, to be a rather livelier and a bit more of a fun character. So perhaps they wouldn't have been... Uh, a perfect match but we've got no evidence to say that they didn't get on and they did have some things in common so henry ordered uh harps for the two of them so they could both indulge their love of music because henry had learned to play as a boy so he could actually play the oh, harp really? which again that isn't I... quite in the image no it doesn't work at all <laughs> <laughs> however the harps would have to wait as in april of 1421 henry learned that his brother thomas had been killed uh, in a battle in france so by june henry's back in france trying to restore english control Ah, oh, dear. And he leaves Catherine behind in England because she is pregnant. Hey, again, obviously, it doesn't take very long. Henry Mark V straight to, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> God, oh no, don't worry, won't be there. <laughs> uh, and Catherine gives birth to a son, which is again exactly Bizarre. 
what the Doctor ordered, uh, the future Henry VI in December 1421 at Windsor Castle. Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't expect anything less. Uh, very well received uh, in England and France. It's celebrated in Paris with the ringing of bells and the lighting of bonfires. And indeed, towns whose loyalty had been wavering now gave Henry V their full support because with the birth of this son, they see that the dynasty, both English but also, of course, French dynasty, uh, is secure. Uh, once Catherine has recovered from the birth, she also goes to France, leaving a baby behind, and is welcomed at Mont in uh, May 1422 with the streets uh, strewn with uh, sweet-smelling herbs. Yeah, but all she wants to smell is her little baby's head, poor woman. Mm. Uh, she is reunited with uh, Henry V and uh, goes with him to Paris in June. Yeah. So, you know, again, in fairness, we don't have the details of the relationship, but as soon as she's able to be there, they are back together again, despite the fact that she's got a newborn baby and he's got a war that he's fighting. So, Yeah, I think they probably, um, Dad just wouldn't feature to Henry. He would, well, of course we get on, you're my <laughs> wife. That's yes. fine. And your opinion isn't going to get recorded, so whatevs. Um, but it sounds like it is going... She she at least might see that it is going well. Hmm. Unfortunately, though, from July, it does not go so well. Henry's health goes into sharp decline, almost certainly now, we think, due to catching dysentery whilst campaigning. Uh, he continues to push himself, but the effort became too much, and on the 31st of August, 1422, he dies. He continues to push himself. Yeah. That's the problem, mate. That's the problem. Hold it in. Yeah. You're leaking all your oil. You need to keep it in. <laughs> That's an image. <laughs> Mechanical fluids. Uh, and he dies at Vincennes Castle, and just 35 years old, and frustratingly, just a few weeks before Catherine's father, Charles VI, dies, and thus... A few weeks short of actually oh, being unbelievable. King of France. I know. It just it all comes to an end. Mm. They don't have the, the right to repair longevity built into these robots those days. But for Catherine, that means at the age of just 21, she is now a widow and uh, no longer the Queen of England. That is going to play really badly on her longevity. It is, but she is now the Queen Mother to Henry VI, who is England's youngest ever king at just eight months old. So we're looking at a good subjectivity, potentially. Good subjectivity, perhaps. Longevity can be made up for, because you get mm. a half point as Queen Mother. Mm. Um, so there, obviously there has to be a regency, because he's a baby. Uh, the question is, what sort of role will Catherine have in her son's government? And the answer is, is none oh. at all. Oh! Henry knew that he was dying. It takes, it takes a while, um, and he's got plenty of time to make arrangements for the regency. Uh, but Catherine... Not mentioned at all in his will. The only two women to get that honour are Joan of Navarre that we did last time, his stepmother, and uh, also Henry's grandmother. Mm. Um, he doesn't send for her on his deathbed, though she did ceremonially uh, accompany his body back to England. Uh, and she does not get given any formal role in the Regency. That's actually probably not surprising, is it? I mean, we're constantly saying, it's great, you know, she's that great, she's listed in a will or whatever, but... In which case, it means that when it when they're not, mm. we shouldn't be surprised. Shouldn't be too much into it. And you know, yeah, she's only twenty one. Yeah, she is. Obviously, he is now would have been king of France, but from an English perspective, she is French and hasn't been in England very long. And indeed, she only comes over to England seven months after marrying, has a baby, mm. and goes straight back to France. So she's barely been in England and has no real experience of governing or anything. She was, you know, brought up in a pretty sheltered life. So it. 
isn't that surprising that he doesn't think, ah, oh, we need her to be sorting all of this sort of stuff out. He wants the people he's known and trusted. Yeah, but if he knew he was dying, he knew that this all of this uh, in, uh, incredible success was on on a sh- on shaky ground. Um, so they would have, well, I think they should have used her more. In that, okay, when she came in second to, um, what's it called? Uh, the Abbey there. Um, what's the big church in Paris? Not Notre Dame. Notre Dame. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When she went in second, processed in second. Mm-hmm. Um, now they need to be leaning on that and saying, well, you know, look, look who the the uh, Edward the Henry the Sixth's mother is. Not just getting rid of her. Well, there is a symbolic value. It's not a case of literally getting rid of her. But if you're thinking, well, who's going to be in charge of the government at home? Who's going to be in charge of the campaigning in France? Who's going to do this? It's going to mm. be the people that have been there with him at Agincourt and all the other campaigns. It's not going to be yeah. the you know still very young woman. Yeah, doesn't really have an experience. Um, but from her perspective, of course, um, and you know, and that's another thing which is sometimes put forward as a potential uh, example of them not getting on the fact that even on his deathbed mm. he doesn't particularly want to see oh, her yeah. but again he's always just focused on the business and he, he's, he's got to die well yeah. if he's dying he's got a lot of stuff to sort out and he doesn't have time for you know nice yeah. conversations and farewells he's got work to do uh, oh god that's depressing isn't it mm. uh, but the upshot of course for her is that uh, you know she's out of a job dowager queen of a country that's at war with her birth family and mm. nation, um, and not given any actual formal role. And where's she living? Which team is she living with? Oh, in, England. In, she's, so she's in okay. England. She comes back with his body to England. So she is in oh, England. Yeah. So her only real role then is as mother to uh, Henry the Sixth, not as a regent, not as an advisor, but an actual mother. To be honest, again, jackpot. Hmm. So, for the first seven years of his life, Catherine lived with her young son. They travelled together between her various palaces uh, and are together at important uh, ceremonial occasions. So, as you said, mother of the King of England, mm. the King of France. Because Henry VI is uh, King of England and France. So, but so she does have this symbolic role. So, at ceremoni- ceremonial occasions, um, she will be there with Henry. And, of course, she's there as mother because he's a baby. Uh, one notable one was Henry VI's first visit to Parliament ahead of his second birthday. Okay. Uh, So Catherine very carefully planned the sort of 28-mile journey from Windsor to Westminster in various short stages uh, over a number of days. But apparently when they tried to get him into her carriage at Staines on the second morning, he shrieked and cried and sprang and would not be carried further. Wherefore, he was born again into the inn and he abode there on Sunday all day. She's had a tantrum. Yeah, has a massive tantrum and it's so bad that they just have to go back to the pub. Hmm. Yeah, that's that's having a um, proper lying on the floor tantrum in Tesco's job. Yeah, and just being able to imagine being king at that point, just to say, "Well, fine, yeah. buy Tesco's and stay here." Then, uh, thankfully, by Monday though, he was happy in spirits and successfully made it to uh, Westminster, where he was born in his mother's bosom in a chair through London to Westminster, and on the morrow was brought into Parliament. Hmm. Good. Just, I mean, weird to idolise a baby like that, isn't it? Yeah, well, that's the that's the that's situation the they've got with, yeah. yeah. But so she does have this role. She is getting to be actually be a mother 
uh, to mm. Henry VI, which is nice. She is there on the ceremonial occasion. She's still an important figure. But the Regency Council would otherwise have hoped that she remained largely in the background. It's somebody they can just wheel out every now and again when they need that symbolic value or they need Henry and he needs his mm. mum. Uh, but in 1426, she causes something of a stir when she begins a relationship with a chap called Edmund Beaufort, who is the younger brother of the Duke of Somerset and indeed a cousin of Henry VI. Then she'd be related in another way to her son. Is that why that's creepy? Or is it just bad news because she's um, having a relationship with anyone? Well, probably it's kind of bad news that she's having a relationship with anyone. And indeed, she's planning to marry Edmund Beaufort. Um, the most notable man to be appalled is uh, the protector, Humphrey, the Duke of Gloucester, who's the youngest brother of Henry V. And he, fear, uh, he fears that any child by Catherine and Edmund Beaufort, given that she's obviously got the Capetian French royal blood, and Edmund Beaufort has Plantagenet's blood... Mm. So, Plantagenet, Capetian, given that Henry VI is just a baby, and if something happens to him, who's going to be the next king? Oh, oh, right. Could so become a rival. Yeah. 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 Uh, so, in response, Parliament passes a bill prohibiting anyone from marrying a queen dowager without the express permission of the king. Mm. And given that Henry VI is just a little child... That's mm. basically stopping Catherine marrying anybody for quite a while. Mm. And what's more... Her son's permission. Yeah, and what's more, her household is merged with that of her son. Not, one suspects, for Henry's well-being, but so that the council could keep a closer eye on Catherine. Mm. Okay, that's sad for her. However, sadly, even Henry will be taken away from her. So as stipulated by Henry V, and to be fair, as is common, from the age of seven or eight, his upbringing uh, becomes the responsibility of... Uh, a male guardian, because he now needs to be groomed for kingship, so he leaves Catherine's household and goes to the Earl of Warwick, who is one of Henry V's closest companions. So Catherine can still see him, but now only at the Earl's behest. Mm. Mm. Okay. So, you know, widowed, denied her second marriage, parted from her son. Um, she then seems to have left court in 1430. Yeah, well... I mean, it's, it's, I say that this was great, jackpot and all that, but actually all all of the good bits are being eroded away here mm. but uh she isn't again she's not one to go away quietly and uh sob on her misfortune she resists her fate and springs another surprise when it's discovered that in actual fact she has got married how not to edmund beaufort nor indeed to any prominent figure at court but instead she has married a lowly welsh servant in her own household a man called owen tudor Oh, and yes, that Tudor. My <laughs> gosh. So that that's how their dynasty starts. Mm. Amazing. So Owen is probably born in about 1400 in uh, Anglesey in Wales, uh, and his father and uncles have been prominent in the nationalist uprising of Owen Glendower uh, against Henry IV. Um, after the, that rebellion was defeated, Owen seems to have secured a position at the Lancastrian court and later joins the retinue of Sir Walter Hungerford, who was the steward of Henry the, uh, the steward of Henry V's household. And obviously at some point he joins uh, Catherine's household, where he was keeper of the Queen's wardrobe, uh, which is a sort of butler-type figure. Amazing. So there are various romantic legends of how they fall in love that we'll discuss later, but they probably marry in about 1430 or so. And actually the Regency Council, probably quite relieved that she's married mm. someone of no political import. Yeah, I mean, they would have given that as an option, I'm sure, if they... Uh 
uh, thought she might take them up on it. So no, <laughs> thing is, you can't marry anyone without this infant's permission, or you can just marry some fellow which gets you out of our hair. Yeah. I mean, uh, we didn't think this was something. I mean, oh yeah, fine. Yeah, fine. Great. Yeah. Oh, sorry. We didn't mean to be so down on the whole <laughs> yeah. marriage thing. We just didn't yeah. even think. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so that's great. I mean, unless she, do you think she realised that 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 was a shortcut out of this, or was there a suggestion beyond the romances that it was actually a love thing? Uh, well, we'll, well, we'll talk about that a bit in Scandal, but we do. There's a bit of both. You can definitely see okay. it a couple of ways. Um, Owen is granted in uh, 1432 the rights and status of an Englishman, <laughs> uh, which, he's is, Welsh. which is important because he's Welsh. Henry the Fourth, after England as uh, rebellion, had placed quite a lot of restrictions on oh, the right. rights and status of Welshmen. So it is actually kind of a way, perhaps, of preserving Catherine's dignity rather than Owen's, because she probably <laughs> didn't, probably didn't realise the distinction between English and Welsh at this point. So when she marries him, they're like, you do realise he kind of doesn't he's, really he's have like, many rights at all because he's welsh you know he's welsh he's what welsh yeah he's from <laughs> wales no but he Christ, it's all right we'll make him english, english. it's fine oh. it's probably easier <laughs> yeah. just to change change the certificate yeah now the secretive nature of their marriage and relationship means that again sadly we don't have a lot of detail of their time together and what their mm. dynamic was like but uh with four children in the space of six years it seems fairly likely that they did have a close relationship mm. given that obviously there's no dynastic requirement to be churning out lots of children for you know the yeah. throne or whatever yeah yeah um and despite a bit of a culture clash between them which one surviving anecdote does uh, reveal quite sweetly owen brought to her presence john ap meredith and howell ap fluellen ap howell his near cousins men of goodly stature and personage but wholly destitute of bringing up and nurture for when the queen had spoken to them in diverse languages and they were not able to answer her she said they were the goodliest dumb creatures she ever saw <laughs> burn <laughs> Uh, now, in 1436, Catherine somewhat mysteriously entered Bermondsey Abbey. Some people believe uh, that it was now that the council learned of the marriage and she was thus confined as a punishment for marrying oh. against her will. But probably more likely it's because of ill health on Catherine's part. Uh, she described herself as having suffered from a grievous malady in the which I have been long and yet am troubled and vexed. Uh, we don't know what this was, but either she was hoping for treatment and recovery at Bermondsey, or uh, she was preparing for the end. Sadly for Catherine, it would, in fact, be the end, and she died on the 3rd of January, uh, 1437, just 35 years old. Same as Henry V. Hmm. Blimey, that is uh, quite a quite a tragic little... Well, I don't know, is it? It's got as... It, it all goes to plan, goes horribly wrong... Romantic ending. Mm. I mean, it's, it does read like Act Two, doesn't it, of mm. a film? Uh, she appointed her son, Henry VI, now 15 years old, as executor for her will, begging him for the tender and favourable fulfilling of mine intent. Um, so although they'd seen little of each other in recent years, there's no suggestion that Henry VI is upset about um, anything that she's been doing. Uh, and he sends mm. her a beautiful engraved gold piece with an image of a crucifix uh, two days before she dies, uh, presumably a sort of comfort in her final hours, uh, and he arranges a funeral worthy of her status, so her body lies in state at the Tower of London before being taken to St Paul's and then for burial at Westminster Abbey. Yeah, because she's still in her role as his mum. Queen mum. Queen mum, yeah. 
Um, unfortunately, in subsequent centuries, her body wouldn't be afforded such uh, dignity. Uh, Henry VII changed the grave's inscription so that it mentioned oh. Owen Tudor, i.e. the second marriage. Oh, right, The original yeah, one course, didn't. Yeah. Um, but then later renovation work accidentally revealed her corpse, and for some reason it was felt appropriate for it to be intermittently put on display as a tourist attraction. How long after? Well, on the 23rd of February 1669... She had the misfortune to attract the attention of one Samuel Pepys. Oh, here he goes. What did he do? Here did we see, by particular favour, the body of Queen Catherine of Valois, and had her upper part of her body in my hands. And I did kiss her mouth. No. Reflecting upon it that I did kiss a queen, and that this was my birthday, 36 years old, that I did first kiss a queen. I was joking. Mm. So we can add um, necrophilia to his list of misdemeanours. Yes. Uh, and it wasn't oh until the reign God. of Queen Victoria that Catherine was finally restored to dignity and uh, reinterred. Well, that's shocking. Anyway, that was the life and consortship of Catherine of Valois. We'll review her after a short break. Battleliness! Well, we do have a good agency for Catherine of Valois. Um, When Henry V died in 1422, Catherine's only 21 years old, she's barely spent any time in England, and she was given no role in her son's regency government. Yet, she shows plenty of agency in refusing to just be a propaganda tool. She pursued the life that she wanted to live, rather than the one that the council tried to impose on her. Uh, Mm. So as we said, feathers well and truly ruffled when she began a relationship with Edmund Beaufort, uh, with the Regency Council disapproving of the match. Now, she didn't just have this relationship and then they said no and that was it. She fought her own corner, so it sort of goes on uh, for a couple of years. And in 1426, Parliament actually made a formal request to the Regency Council that they cease in their refusals to allow Catherine to remarry. And it seems highly likely that this would have been because Catherine personally petitioned Parliament to intervene on her behalf. Right. Okay. So she, she's getting stuck yeah, in here. actually it's, doing it, yeah. yeah. It's not people saying, oh, we should really treat the Queen better. No. It's her saying, sending out emails saying, sign this 38 degrees petition. Yeah, exactly. Um, obviously, ultimately unsuccessful, but good to see that she is uh, putting up a fight. And mm. it's also interesting to question, you know, was this just a marriage for love or was it maybe a bit of a power move, perhaps on both their parts. She'd been sidelined by the Regency Council, given no role, and yet, marrying Edmund Beaufort, who is a Plantagenet, descended from John of Gaunt, as is her son, uh, Mm. they would become an incredibly powerful couple, and perhaps she would then have gained a role on the Regency Council. So perhaps this was actually a bit of a route to power, and it was certainly dangerous enough to warrant Parliament passing legislation to stop her marrying. So, and how long after that event... Did uh, she marry old Tudor? 1430. Council has said, right, that's it. We It's now legally enshrined. You cannot marry. And she does yeah. it anyway. Her yeah, agency yeah, yeah. again. She doesn't resign herself to the lonely widowhood that they've tried to legally impose on her. Yeah. Um, she goes off and marries someone else. Marries Owen Tudor secretly, so as not mm. to give the council the opportunity to raise any objections. Leaves court, falls in love, marries the man she wanted. Her decisions, her life. Yeah, really, really good agency, and 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 totally understandable after Henry Mark V. To mm. su- I mean, it's a Shirley Valentine moment. Isn't 
Um, against her for battliness, it's impressive agency on a personal level, but we don't really have anything on a grander scale, particularly when we've got the context of the Hundred Years' War, her being the daughter of the French king and now the mother of the, technically the king of England and France. She's fighting her own battles, but there's a bigger picture that she's not really involved in, which, as we have seen and will continue to see, other consorts can be. I see, yeah. So she, she clearly had it in her. Mm. So she could have deployed it other places. Mm. Uh, so what do you think about the score then for Battliness? It's good. I think it's got to be above five. Mm. I know what you mean. It feels like the 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 events of the time could have lent itself to more somehow. Mm. In a funny so, way, I suppose, her agency is such that she has defied our expectations of what she should have done. Yeah. and And actually... Once Henry had died, she was never going to be queen again. Mm. Her son was king. Maybe she'd spent enough time with Henry that she thought, all right, we'll just be a queen mother then. Be the one that um, you you read about in the reference books. Mm. That's it. So that sort of rather takes the edge off it when we want them influencing Mm. at all stages of their life. Maybe five, actually. What Mm. do you feel? I was thinking of maybe a six. I think, as you were saying, I feel like it is a positive thing in an agency. And I think it is just that slightly funny thing that her agency is in such a way that she, like we're saying, we she decided the life that she wanted to live and what she wanted to do. Hmm. And obviously we're criticising her for not doing one thing, but she obviously decided that wasn't the thing she wanted to do. But she still had to kind of defy expectations and fight to get her own. Yeah, that's it. She was sort of in, in some sort of personal prison, being not being able to marry. Mm. And she showed agency to fight her way out of that. But then... And take on the system as, and win. But then we usually give the extra points for then fighting to get back in the system and change mm. things from within. Mm. Uh, although I, I, I love those that just... So <laughs> you, you, you carry on. You have all the fun. I'm just going to sit here and grow some apples. <laughs> <laughs> yeah but still five it is a power play game it's game of thrones if you if you're an actor in game of thrones you say actually i want out mm. you say fine but you're not getting any screen time <laughs> i'm gonna i'll give her a i'm gonna give her oh, i was thinking of a six i don't know if that's too high yeah i'm gonna give her a six i sort of i i get the five i'm gonna give her that extra point in acknowledgement that her agency is that she has defied us yeah <laughs> what that we seems want fair her to do six for me a five from you that's 11 for battliness Scandal. Now, without wanting to repeat ourselves, we uh, kind of need to repeat ourselves because her, her scandal ground very much covers uh, the same area as that of battliness in that her dowager romances mm. cause quite a rumpus. Uh, and the first, as we said, was Edmund Beaufort, who uh, at the time was a dashing 19-year-old nobleman. The chronicler of the time concluded uh, that Catherine had not been able to fully curb her carnal passions. And she's 21? Uh, 25. Fine. Still, this is still very much then, this is Love Island. It's because she's a widow, you think, oh, she's kind of there yeah. because she's had this long life. But no, she's mm. barely married to Henry V or any time. And there's the same sort of prizes, you know, wealth and fame. And now, of course, she's at the English court without any attachment, without any role. That yeah. kind of being queen bit is finished. 
you know. Oh my gosh, this what is a new series. Do? Yeah. Then you see this is a Love Island um Queen Mother episode. <laughs> yeah. In the latest twist, Catherine is now without a partner. <laughs> Who's she going to come what uh, oh, I don't know how it works. <laughs> Um, and obviously her subsequent marriage to Owen Tudor, again, does suggest a romantic or even perhaps lustful charge to Catherine that was a bit more spur of the moment rather than Machiavellian. Mm. Yeah, we, they're not all politicians. Mm. Some of them are just teenagers. Yeah. Who, uh, I feel like this, my eyes have been opened. <laughs> they could have been people. With <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, quite. Some historians have even questioned the parentage of her first child with Owen Tudor. Um, so this is uh, Edmund Tudor, and we're called mm. Edmund Beaufort. And people thought, is that a bit of a coincidence? Or oh. was Edmund Beaufort actually the father? So maybe Catherine marries Owen to preserve her dignity, i.e. <gasps> she has to find a stooge to play dad. Oh, man. Yeah, of course, Graham, that is the film. <laughs> yeah, and who better than to do exactly as he's asked than her, her butler? Hey, I've got a deal for you. <laughs> it'll, it'll mean you're, you're never a servant again. <laughs> okay, I will. <laughs> <laughs> no, Welsh, Welsh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what was that? Was Georgie I was Georgie. I was being the um, You still Love on, Island, yeah. I was still Love Island, yeah. <laughs> um, now, of course, there's absolutely no evidence for this, and you might think that if this is what happened, she might have been slightly more subtle than to call the child Edmund. I don't know. I, I don't know. She's tw- she, I think, you know, she's 24, uh, <laughs> and so what? She's out of the game now. <laughs> Yeah, that could have been a little Easter egg for historians in time to come. I reckon you, I reckon that's it. Massive, massive scandal. Of less political import than uh, the relationship with Edmund Beaufort, but Racia, one might say, was her relationship with Owen Tudor. Now, the Tudor name can be a bit misleading, because obviously we now imbue it with great significance. You know, you heard Tudor and you're like, whoa! Yeah. Obviously at the time, 1430s, he's an absolute nobody. He's just this lowly Welsh servant. He's not mm. royal, he's not important at all. While Catherine... Is a French princess, English queen, and now, of course, English queen mother. Uh, some of her ladies begged her to have nothing to do with uh, Owen, fearing it was demeaning to her dignity to take up with a man of such low birth, while a contemporary chronicler uh, believed that she was following more her own appetite than friendly counsel, and regarding more her private affection than her open honour. How dare she? Mm. Uh, and the fact of uh, his low birth, which is something you were touching on earlier, may have been a motivation for her to marry him, because having been prevented from marrying Edmund Beaufort because he was too important, um, there is a legend that she responded to the council, then I shall marry a man so basely yet so gently born that my Lord Regents may not object. But other accounts uh, suggest that Catherine's motiva- uh, motivation for marrying Owen was rather more primal. Uh, so she's said to have caught sight of Owen uh, stripping naked when he went for a swim. Oh, I've heard this, yeah. And uh, evidently impressed uh, with what she saw, she just, uh, she decided to disguise herself as a maid and arranged a uh, secret meeting with him in disguise. Mm. Uh, but he takes the liberty of kissing her, and she, obviously remembering her station, recoils and uh, runs off. But later, he's showing off at a, a dance in her great hall and accidentally turns and falls and falls into her lap. And it's at this point, perhaps, he realises that she's the woman that he saw earlier 
Um, there's some suggestion even perhaps he'd like given her a love bite or something unless he sees it on her and that's why she recoiled originally this is lovely and that uh, he realizes that she's in love with him oh man what a great love story and again for the scandal secretly marry and technically illegally marry oh that's brilliant yeah zach efron in the lead role <laughs> classic yeah. classic study welshman <laughs> <laughs> uh, who else we got like uh Navidi, he he could he could probably take on a leading role. The rugby player. <laughs> I was going to say, Ali's trying to think of famous Welsh actors, and it quickly goes to nope. It's going to have to be rugby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, there was that guy Burton. <laughs> <laughs> Quite racy. Well, this definitely could be a bit, you know, Mills and Boone. Mm, nice. Now, one more name to throw into the ring is uh, King James I of Scotland. Which one's he? He's assassinated in a sewer when he was trying to escape. Oh, yeah. Tennis balls. Yeah. yeah. Um, he was born in about 1394, but he'd been a prisoner in England since 1406, but had been treated very honourably and given an excellent education, was highly thought of uh, by Henry V. And it seems that he might have developed quite a close relationship to Catherine. He sat next to her at her coronation oh. banquet and welcomed her to Rouen on her return to France while Henry was too busy sieging, uh, and then seems to have spent quite a bit of time with her in England after Henry's death. Um, and alone, along with Edmund Beaufort and uh, his sister Joan Beaufort, who is the person that James of Scotland will eventually marry, um, mm. they seem to have been part of this kind of young set at court, which is otherwise dominated by this sort of old and disapproving Regency Council who only really focus on the war with France. And yet, as you said, it's this sort of Love Island thing going on. You've got mm. these young, hot aristocrats mm. and nobles... Yeah, with not much to do other than frolic. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm trying to superimpose a sort of um, the thick of it scenario onto people who actually are um, deeply involved in a Love Island production. Yes, <laughs> and, and that's where these conflicts arise. <laughs> Uh, so James and Catherine, both foreigners at court, uh, brought together by Henry V, living in a country which is hostile to their native lands. There's quite a bit uh, that they would share in common. And there's been some speculation that James, who was an accomplished poet, of course, which is uh, always appealing to you, Love could it. have fallen a little bit in love with Catherine in his great work of poetry, The King's Book. Perhaps the uh, lady in that, rather than his wife, Joan Beaufort, as often is assumed, maybe it was Catherine. The lady said to be tall and fair with rich attire, magnificent jewellery, and is more than once referred to as Queen. Yeah, I, I don't doubt that for a single moment. Definitely he did. But it, it also could have been his wife, Joan Beaufort. Even if James was a little bit in love with her, and even if he did write poetry about her, there's no evidence, of course, that it's reciprocated by Catherine. Mm. But still, you know, it's, uh, it's quite a racy, racy time for Catherine after Henry V dies. It is, isn't it? Hmm. It is without a, a, without anyone dying, or there ever being real threat to life. It's quite it's mm. quite refreshing. It's just yeah. it is like an episode of Love Island. It, I mean, <laughs> it, the producers would be absolutely thrilled if the scandal on Love Island made it to the front page of a red top. <laughs> <Yeah>. <gasps> She's married a Tudor. You know, he's he doesn't even have a title. You know, that sort of thing. <laughs> Against her, you say that you know it causes a bit of a rumpus because of who she is, but. Uh, Obviously, none of this is while she's married to Henry V. And no one actually, like, as long as it's not put in the country in jeopardy, mm. no one cares. Mm. Yeah, so it's just sort of blanked a bit or neutered 
It's nice. <laughs> I think it's a, I think it's a, a refreshing, bold, jolly, and ultimately beautiful romance. <laughs> um, but you know, five. Well, actually, probably a four, isn't it? Well, I mean, you had so you had you know Edmund Beaufort, and also I suppose we can take over from Battle and his fact that you know was there a bit of plotting going on. There was the question over the parentage of the first child. There's the naked swimming and love bites and dancing with Owen Tudor. Mm. There's James the First writing her poetry. I don't think I can give it more than a five. Oh, it is. It is nice. It's nice scandal. <laughs> Still scandal, but you know, just ooh, <laughs> rather than OMG. Other than that moment earlier when I said that she married Owen Tudor and you went oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know me. Yeah, I've, got a, I've, I've had time to think. Ali's inconsistencies. <laughs> uh, so you're saying a five. Yeah. I'm saying I'm going to go six again. So I'm going to the same as uh, for battliness. So again, it's 11. Scandal. Subjectivity. Uh, although she wasn't queen for very long, Catherine seems to have been extremely popular when she became queen. And we think in comparison to her recent predecessors, she was a much more impressive prospect for the people of England. Um, Anne of Bohemia hadn't had a dowry. Isabel of Valois, her sister, was only a child. Joan of Navarre was an expensive widow. In contrast, Catherine, beautiful blonde French princess whose dowry is basically the Kingdom of France. Mm. This is what it's meant to be. Yeah. Um, something like 30,000 people came out uh, to see Catherine on her arrival into London, where she was welcomed with incredible pageantry. Uh, the Guild of Merchants gave her an official welcome, which was headed by Richard Whittington. Or, uh, no! Dick Whittington, the uh, four-time Lord Mayor, now a famous pantomime character. Oh, wow. Rex fact. There were giants made of papier-mâché guarding the gates of the city, which bowed to Catherine as she... Uh, she processes through minstrels and That's choirs. That's so cool. Singing as she processes. Wine flows in the fountain. Streets are strewn with ivy and branches of evergreen trees. And uh, the contemporary Encoron de Monstrelet recorded uh, that she was received as if she had been an angel from God. Um, the brevity of her queenship means we don't really have any evidence of her doing anything as queen, particularly if she was pregnant for the majority of her uh, time as queen consort. But the one thing she did do was intercede for the liberty of King James I of Scotland. Uh, so as you said, he'd been a useful prisoner for the English, but Catherine interceded in 1423 and appealed for his release. And 1424, soon after marrying Joan Beaufort, uh, James I of Scots was released and finally sent back to be King of Scots in Scotland. Um, and in terms of her lasting legacy, perhaps her major contribution is actually ultimately the Tudor dynasty. Yes, exactly. Because she is the grandmother of Henry VII and the great-grandmother of Henry VIII. It's just, this is a really fascinating period. Mm. Now, in her will, she begged Henry VI to look after her children by Owen Tudor, so, i.e., Henry VI's half-siblings. Mm. There's only siblings, and he does indeed treat them with great favour, so he makes her sons Edmund and Jasper Tudor, the Earls of Richmond and Pembroke, grants Edmund Tudor um, the illustrious marriage to Margaret Beaufort, um, by Ooh, which means, obviously, ultimately, yeah. Henry VII, uh, as the child of that marriage, has a claim to the throne. That's what that is is a gift to the keys to the game mm. against her in subjectivity she's Catherine, it's very important in terms of what she represented and thus what she gave to her husband her son and of course her tudor descendants but arguably she's only really important on a symbolic level because she's queen mm. so briefly there's no opportunity to actually make any kind of impact she doesn't get any kind of role in her son's regency she only spends five of her 26 months as queen actually in england mm. still it's 
It's tasty, isn't it, what becomes of this? There's not anything really, though, that we shouldn't score. Because she no. just doesn't really have the opportunity with Henry V dying so young. Yeah, exactly. She's got no time to actually do the subjectivity stuff, and then uh, it gives her an out just to escape. And if you escape, you're never going to get subjectivity points. Mm. One. I'm going to be, again, I think I'm going to be a little bit more generous to her. I'm going to give her, I'm going to give her one for each of those things. So I'm going to give her okay. a three. Three ones makes a three. <laughs> <laughs> and then another one makes a four. So four for subjectivity. That's five, five, four, three, two, one, number blocks. If I sing anymore, we'll have to pay them. Longevity. Uh, so Catherine of Valois was queen consort from the 2nd of June, 1420, to the 31st of August, 1422, which is 2.17 years. She was then mm. queen mother from the 31st of August, 1422, to her death on the 3rd of January, 1437, uh, which mm. is 14... Point three three years, uh, which is then a total of 16 and a half years. However, we halve the Queen Mother total, which equates to 9.34 years of queenship and a score of 7 out of 20, which is 36th overall. It's not. It's on the low side, but given how, how little time she was queen, it's not bad. Dynasty, not the program. So Catherine had one child by Henry V, namely Henry VI. Uh, she also had four children by Owen Tudor, so two sons... Edmund and Jasper, that were prominent figures in the reign of Henry VI, a daughter who became a nun, and then another son, uh, perhaps, who became a monk. So although that does give us the Tudor dynasty, it does not count towards a dynasty no. score. It has to be children by uh, the king. So one child by the king gives her a score of 7.5 out of 20, which is joint 33rd overall. So all in all, her total score is 40.5. However, it's not all about the scores, of course. Does she have that certain something, the lasting legacy, the great achievement and star quality that we call... Rex Factor! The case in her favour would be, you know, as a young woman, she's the chivalric ideal. Beautiful French princess, waits patiently for heroic warrior king, celebrated by her new people, and through her marriage brings two great countries together. Although her queenship is brief, she showed herself to be courageous, independent, passionate, pursues her own path in life, makes an extraordinary second marriage. Gives mm. us the Tudor dynasty. Yeah. But if you want to win Love Island, yes. <laughs> you don't just win it. You then have to go off, be a Z-list celebrity, appearing in all the Heat magazine and stuff. Mm. She won Love Island and drifted off back to a career in a, in a bank. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Wherever people work and sort of <laughs> saw that as her life as her time on Love Island. Uh, to be a Rex Factor Love Island winner, you know, it's gotta it's gotta run through you like a stick of rock. She played the part well, but then given the chance Well, I get I mean the thing for her ultimately is, you know, as we said, she didn't get much chance of Queen Consort because Henry V dies when he's only thirty five. Mm. But then she has that second marriage and we say you know she gives up she retires but actually she herself dies when she's only 35 yeah and you know as you yeah. said her sons go on to become earls what role might she have played when henry mm. VI was older when her sons were older she might well have come back to court she might well have been an influential figure again it's not that she was necessarily gone forever yeah she could well have done that couldn't she mm. again we're not talking about an old person dying no no young, she's, she's young, younger, younger, than, than, younger us. than us now <laughs> younger than yeah. peeps when he kissed her and there's a bit of a lack of detail for her ultimately she's a perfect contender for historical fiction yes because you've got great drama great romance and but we don't actually have a lot of her in actual factual 
things. That's what's probably missing. She needs a film made about her, mm. and then she'll definitely get the uh, with the increased interest. She'll so of get course, the I mean, she does have a, a famous scene in uh, one of uh, Shakespeare's great history plays, Henry V. There's a, the scene where Henry V and Catherine of Valois meet. They've got the the scene already written for them. Yeah, just write the other bits around it. Yeah, how much the scriptwriter get one of them on board? I'll go around asking people for money. We've got a hit. But do we have a Rex Factor winner? No. I think ultimately, no. I'd really like, I, again, I'd really get on with her, but no. I think it's almost it's similar in a way to Joan of Naval. They're a very different life, but that's a similar kind of thing where they sort of thought, you know what, I'm going to do my own thing, actually. Mm. I'm not going to go mm. running around trying to catch up with what the men are doing, I think. Got my yeah. own life to live. So it is sadly... A no to Catherine of Valois. She does not have the Rex Factor, but again, one that we uh, one that we enjoyed and one that screenwriters should be queuing up to cover. Correspondence Corner. So that was the life and consortship of uh, Catherine of Valois. Let us know what you thought about her. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Rex Factor Pod. Like the Rex Factor Podcast Facebook page or email rexfactorpodcast at hotmail.com. And remember to send in your hashtag consult cards for an episode image for Catherine of Valois. And you can donate monthly to join the Privy Council and get over 100 bonus episodes in addition to all of these, as well as ad-free versions. Uh, as all of the main ones go to patreon.com forward slash rex factor to sign up and we have some new privy councillors to welcome to the fold tales from the glass guarded world podcast andrew ellingson caroline higgins anna thompson patricia scott emma berryman moore amy tector percy zoner kirsten treber susan sewell john walton david rushton victoria gerard quadlin joanna mclaughlin lynn epsley christopher smith David Whiteley, Susan Duke, Leah oh. Earl, Gillian Kuzma, Sarah Ayson, oh. Diane Taylor, Amelia Harris-Mee, and Emma Lees. Very nice. Uh, and we have some messages from our long-ago new Privy Councillors back when we were still on Podbean, and we offered a message as a reward. First up, Jamie Wilkinson. Keep up the great work, guys. As a Scot, I particularly enjoyed the Scottish series and wondered if there are any characters from Scottish history that you would do a special episode on. Someone like Bonnie Prince Charlie or John Knox. John Knox. <laughs> the Scottish Dunstan for Ali. Oh, yeah. He really was the Scottish Dunstan. Hmm. Uh, Jop said, you've helped keep me sane during lockdown, so becoming a privy councillor was the least I could do, and I get more content, so win-win. Win-win, yep. Uh, and finally, Jennifer Vincent. I feel I owe you something having binged the entire first season during COVID restrictions this year. It was slightly odd listening to the 10th anniversary shows when I'd only been listening for six months. Nostalgia on fast forward. <laughs> Love the show and long may you reign. <laughs> Thanks. And finally, a consort limerick from Louise Brimacombe. Oh, brilliant. Uh, and this time, Anne of Bohemia, who was the first consort of Richard II. When you marry a princess well-bred, her large dowry should get you ahead. But when Richard wed Anne, he neglected to plan and she cost him a fortune instead. <laughs> I definitely thought she was going for arm and a leg at the end. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's very strong. I wonder whether we need to give Louise some sort of title. Oh, like... Um, Poet Laureate. Poet Laureate, yeah. But, Limerick Laureate. Um, before giving her this title, I feel some research should be carried out. By which we should ask Privy Councillors what an appropriate name for Louise is. Hang on. And be kind. <laughs> title. 
out. Um, otherwise, that is it for us and for uh, Catherine of Valois. So to avoid uh, another long gap, because we had a break over Christmas and New Year, so I need a bit of time to do Margaret of Anjou research. So our next episode won't be Margaret of Anjou. It will be uh, an interview uh, with the historian Dr. Ellie Woodacre talking about uh, Joan of Navarre. Uh, and uh, queenship in general um, after which we will then do uh, Margaret of Anjou of course one of the most controversial and fascinating figures in English medieval history I love her uh, until then we shall see you next time cheerio